So good morning, church. It's, it's one of the privileges to be able to stand here and look at the, the beautiful faces and eyes and, and hearts and lives of people and have this vantage point to see you all. Uh, I love it. So this morning, I'm going to be speaking about God and about his word, the Bible. And, and I pray that as I say that, that, that you're already in, a, in an excited place. I used to take classes in public speaking, and they would, they would speak about your introduction, and they would say, make sure your introduction, that it captures people's attention, it captivates them, it draws them in, so they'll listen to what you say next. And I pray that my introduction, that I'm going to be speaking about God and his word, has drawn you in, that literally you're on the edge of your chair, like, what is Pete going to tell us about God and about his word? It's, it's such a privilege to, to have opportunities like this. And as great as it is to be here just sharing the Word of God with you, I love, I love what happens before I get here on Sunday. I love the, the opportunity to sit at the Lord's feet, praise Him, worship Him, and just listen for His heart, for what He wants to say when we come together on Sunday. It's, it's such an amazing privilege and a blessing for me. Uh, and I don't take these opportunities lightly. As I spent time with the Lord in preparation this week, I felt him highlighting and reminding me about an encounter and a conversation I had with him last year. And there was a day last year where I was reading my Bible, I was spending time with him, just listening for what he wanted to speak to me. And that day he asked me an interesting question. He asked me, do you believe that the Holy Spirit is as powerful as God the Father and as Jesus the Son? And we know God doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know the answer, first of all, right? He's, he, he wants to teach us, he wants to lead us, he wants to guide us somewhere. But here I am, I'm, I'm an elder in the church, I'm a teacher in the ministry school here, and I get this seemingly basic question. I mean, I know the, the concept of the Trinity, one God, three persons, omnipotent, all-powerful God. So, of course, my, my quick answer is, of course, God, of course the Holy Spirit is as powerful as the Father and as Jesus, the Son. And then God asked me a second question, and this question just caused me to come undone. He asked me next, he says, does the way you live your life actually reflect the fact that you believe that truth. And here I am, elder, teacher, man of God, filled by the Holy Spirit, doing my best to walk by the Spirit. And as he asked me that question, I, I started to see my life, see how I approach each and every day, each and every conversation, each and everything that comes my way. And, I, and I, I saw, on one side, I saw the way I was living my life. But then on the other side, I saw, I saw the Word of God. I saw, for example, the book of Acts. And I saw a group of men, ordinary men, filled by the Holy Spirit that were living a life with such boldness, such courage, such faith, such power, such joy and suffering and persecution. And I realized that 
when I, look, when I hold it to that lens, the way I was living my life didn't actually reflect that I believed that I had that same power within me, that same Holy Spirit, God himself within me, and I wasn't actually living my life from that truth. Intellectually, I acknowledged that truth. I thought I was, and the Lord showed me it wasn't actually a truth in the way I was living my life. And it broke me. <laughs> I broke down to my knees in tears before the Lord. I said, Lord, forgive me. I want to live that life. And it caused me to, to reflect on, do I actually take God at his word? Do I actually take God at his word? Like, do I really believe the things that are written in this book? And I think it's an important question. It already has started to come out as we've been worshiping this morning. And it's a question you should ask yourself, do you actually take God at his word? Do you believe that this, every word in this book, in the Bible, is his word? Written and divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit? Do you believe a passage like 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17? That all scripture is God-breathed, that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that myself, so that each of you, so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, you may not understand everything in this book, you may not have even read every single word in this book, but do you believe that? Do you believe that? And if the answer is yes, I would have to ask you the same question that the Lord asked me that day. Does the way you live your life also reflect that you believe that and take God at his word? And if not, why not? Why doesn't your life match up with your confession? It's an important question to ask and bring to the Lord. So my prayer is as we look at Scripture this morning, that we allow God to search our hearts, that we examine ourselves, and that we respond to Him. Respond to Him and His Word as the Spirit leads us to do so this morning. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that before I even continue, I pray that you You search us, Lord, just as you already are, just as you've revealed yourself this morning. Continue to reveal yourself. Continue to reveal your heart, who you are, your truth. We love you, Lord. We're here for you. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start by looking at a story from Jesus' life in Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as we 
before we even look closer at this passage, as we reflect on the question, do you take God at his word, we have to acknowledge the fact that someone that hasn't come to, to hear this word or believe the truth of the gospel, that hasn't heard or doesn't believe that they've been created by an almighty God, that because of sin, this almighty God sent his son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh to live a perfect life that we couldn't live, to then die on a cross and take on all of the wrath of God that should have been ours, to then be raised from the dead, to go and send back to heaven and give us a hope to spend eternity with this almighty God. For someone who hasn't either heard that message or chosen not to believe that message, we have to acknowledge that as they read this book, it's pretty outrageous. It would be pretty outrageous for them to believe what's written in this book. I mean, a lot of the stories in this book are outrageous. A lot of the commands in this book are outrageous. A lot of the promises in this book, they're outrageous when you look at it from the world's eyes. And even as we look at this, this story, I want to I look first a, a little bit and just highlight what happened right before Matthew chapter 4. So before this, Jesus, the Son of God, he went out into the wilderness to a river. And he had a man, John the Baptist, a man who wore camel hair clothes, who ate locusts and wild honey for food. He went to this man to immerse him under water. And then after this happened, this man sees the heavens open. He sees the Spirit of God come down like a dove and, and, and rest on Jesus. And he, see, he hears a voice from heaven say, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's pretty outrageous. And from there, you would expect the story to involve this son of God, who's now been identified by God in a spectacular way. Surely he's going to take his crown as king, king of Israel, probably king of all nations, after something like that. And what happens next? The Holy Spirit himself leads him into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. The Spirit leads him to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. At which point, Jesus doesn't eat food or water for 40 days and 40 nights. And then Satan comes and tempts him. And it's a very interesting tempt him. He actually says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. It's actually not that ridiculous of a thing. He's kind of just saying, like, okay, you're God, prove it. He's not saying bow down and worship me yet. He does shortly after that. But he says, you're the son of God, prove it. Make this into bread. And then verse 4, as outrageous as all of that is, again, in the world's eyes, it's pretty outrageous if we take a step back and say, do we really believe this? Then we get to verse 4. In verse 4, to me, I think this is actually even more outrageous than everything else that's happened up to this point. Why? Because Jesus says to the devil, he says, no. He says, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And do you see what Jesus is saying here in this verse? He's saying that people live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you see that? And my question is, do you view life that way? Do you view life that you cannot 
actually live but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That it's literally a matter of life and death for you. Is that how you view every word that comes from the mouth of God? Because that's, that's a massive paradigm shift from the way that a lot of us approach the Bible as Christians when you view it that way. It's a lot different than asking questions like, did I have a quiet time today? Did I open my Bible today? Did I spend 15 minutes of my 16-hour waking day in the Bible? I mean, even if you spend four hours in the Bible, that's still very different than every word of God is literally life and death to me. And in light of that truth, I have to examine myself and say, am I actually living from that place? Because... I've just acknowledged that I believe every word that's in this book. But do I take God at his word? Does my life actually reflect that? Does the way that the number of times that I open this book, the amount of time I spend reading this book, the amount of time I spend studying this book, meditating on this book, memorizing this book, the amount of time that his words from this book come out of my mouth in conversation, the amount of time I'm in, in prayer with the Holy Spirit, waiting on the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance the words in this book, to speak to me the words of God that are lined up with this book, does my life actually reflect that I need to live by every single word that comes from the mouth of God? Is that the level of dependence that I have on his word and on him, not just on Sunday when I preach a message, in every facet, every area of my life. Everything I do, everything I say. And it's interesting because this scripture that Jesus is quoting here, it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want us to look at that to get some context. So here we have Moses speaking to the Israelites, sharing the Lord's heart with them. And he says, starting in verse 1, Be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And it's interesting, I'm not sure where Johnny is now, but it was interesting how Johnny mentioned he felt like the Israelites. Because <laughs> think about the context of why the Israelites were in this situation. 
God had brought them out of Egypt in, I'll go back to the word outrageous, in an outrageously spectacular way through plagues upon plagues upon plagues to bringing them in the most unexpected route to the middle of a sea to then opening the sea so they could walk through, to then closing a sea to kill off the enemies that were chasing them, to bring them to the promised land that he had promised to their ancestors, that he had told them to go up into this land, this land flowing of milk and honey. It's incredible. And what did the Israelites do? They scouted out the land, They saw all of these large, tall people. They saw these fortified cities, and they made a choice in that moment. And that choice they made was to not take God at his word. They chose in that moment that they knew what God had said, and they knew what God had done. And in that moment, they chose that we're not going to take God at his word. And because... Of that, they found themselves in the wilderness for 40 years to be humbled by God, to be tested by God, to find out whether or not they would obey his commands, and also to bring them to a realization that they needed to be completely and utterly dependent on God. Because if God didn't produce this unusual, before, never before seen food on the ground each and every morning, and a double portion on the day before the Sabbath day, they wouldn't eat. There was no doubt in their mind at that point that they were dependent on God, and they needed to be dependent on God. And God did that very intentionally so that they knew it. In reality, they should have always known that. But they had forgotten that fact. And sometimes it's easier when when life is hard, when God is, or life, is, is testing us, is humbling us, and we realize that, honestly, we have nothing apart from him. In those times, we realize we need to rely on him. But a life in Christ calls us to that level of dependence regardless of what's happening around us, the good, the bad, and everything in between. We have to be dependent on him in every area of our lives. Sometimes we need life to test us and humble us, to reveal the true state of our hearts, to reveal the true state of our souls, so that we can continue to rely on him, to press into him, to surrender him, to submit to him so we can mature, so we can look more like Jesus, and so we can bring glory to his name. And I want to put a, a passage up behind me as I, I share a real-time example for us to consider this morning. If we can put Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 up, I'm going to leave that behind me. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But you guys may have heard I'm going to go out on a limb here. So this week it was announced to South Africa as well as the entire world that a new variant, I don't think I need to define that term anymore, a new variant has been discovered in South Africa named Omicron. 
This variant apparently has numerous mutations along from anything that we've ever seen before. This variant apparently may be more contagious and transmissible than anything we've ever seen before. And all of the vaccines that have been created so far that were supposed to be the answer may not work against this new variant. And in light of that news, what has the response been in your heart? Well, if you look at this passage, Philippians 4, starting in verse 6, we read, do not be anxious about anything. Amen. Absolutely. But again, I bring this back to the fact that do you take God at his word here? Do you take God at his word here? And you may ask the question, the, the, the translation here uses the word anything. And does the word anything in this verse include a new variant in the year 2021 and everything that comes along with it? From the health impact to the economic impact to the church impact, is that included in anything? Do you take God at his word? Should you still not be anxious about anything? And then how are we called to respond? Well, it says every situation, and again, does a new variant fall into the words every situation? And if it does, we're to respond by praying, by petitioning, by presenting our requests to God. How? With a heart of thanksgiving. Remembering who he is, remembering all his faithful promises, remembering everything he has done with praise and honor on our lips all the day long as we show our, our utter reliance and dependence on him by rather than trying to solve it in our own strength, bringing it to him in prayer. you take him at his word? And then do you take him at his word and believe the promise at the end of verse 7 when you do that? That you will not only have peace, but you'll actually have a peace that surpasses, that transcends all understanding. Our minds can't even wrap itself around it. It doesn't make sense in light of what's happening around us. You'll have that type of peace, God's peace. And not, it doesn't even stop there. I mean, I, personally, I think that actually would be just amazing in its own right if it was just full stop and stop there. No. God continues. He says that peace will actually guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. But church, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Is the way you're living your life day in and day out actually reflect that you believe that, that you're taking God at his word? Amen. He is in control. Amen. And that's just one passage and one life circumstance I felt the Lord highlight, just real time. But this applies to every circumstance. And every word breathed by God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. 
And he tells them, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And this is Paul. This is Paul the Apostle, the man who wrote a large portion of the New Testament. And here he's saying that the pressure, the sense that he was going to literally die because of the troubles he was experiencing, saying that this happened so that Paul the Apostle would not rely on himself but on God, the one who raises the dead. So how do we respond this morning, church? I think God's been leading us this whole direction this morning. <laughs> you know, there can be a, a temptation even to, in the way you respond to a message like this, to reveal whether or not you take God at his word. And whether or not you're actually completely dependent on him, even when you respond to a message like this. But some of you may respond to this message by holding on to the fact that you you fall short of God's ways and his word. You, you beat yourself up over and over again. You intellectually, you try and figure it all out. You try and walk out of here. And, and in your own strength and in your own best thinking, you try and come up with a really good solution in your head. And you continually dwell on and wonder, how could you have been so prideful in the way you were living your life, in your own strength, your way? Some of you may be tempted to respond that way. Some of you may have walked in here or you may be in this moment feeling that you, you're never good enough to earn God's love. You're never good enough to earn your way into heaven, to attend this church, to live a life pleasing unto him. And you're still striving in your own strength to live that light that you think in God's eyes is good enough. But then I read scriptures like 1 John 1 verse 9 where God says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you confess your sin, regardless of how bad you think it is or how many there are, do you believe that he is faithful and righteous to forgive you your sins, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why? Because of his nature and because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on your behalf. 
do you take God at his word? Lord also reminded me of Psalm 51, verse 17, where the psalmist says, The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you come before God, broken and humbled, realizing that you need him in every way, shape, and form, and that you just want to live a life pleasing and glorifying unto him, that that fact alone is a pleasing sacrifice unto God, and he will not despise it. That he's actually glorified by it. Why? Because it relies completely on him, not on us. It shows off his mercy, his grace, his love, his power. And then the world, the principalities, they are in awe of the almighty Lord God because of it. Do you take God at his word? And do you rely on his word and him completely? So I want us to respond this morning to the Lord. I pray and trust that even this moment, the Holy Spirit is highlighting in your mind and in your heart exactly what he wanted you to hear this morning. He knew from the beginning to the end, he knew that you would be here this morning. He knew that your life would look exactly the way your life looked before you walked in here this morning. He knew you needed to hear and experience him and his word in the way that you've experienced and heard it this morning. He alone knows and searches hearts, and he knew each of that for each and every one of you before you walked in. So I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to take a moment. And I want you to thank him. I want you to thank him. (laughs) Thank him for who he is. Thank him for who you are in him. Thank him for his faithfulness. Thank him that he's with you right now in this moment. In this moment, I want you to ask him to remind you of what he wants to tell you right now in this moment. Just create space. Holy Spirit, I pray that for each and every person right now, you you speak and highlight exactly what you want to tell that person right now. Thank you, Lord. 
I want to ask each and every one of you to stand. Again, I spoke about almost in our own strength, <laughs> trying to, to whip up a response that's pleasing unto God, when all he asks for us is to, to fall on him, fall on who he is, fall on his finished work on the cross, literally just lay ourselves into his arms and say, Lord, I cannot do anything, including respond to you, without you. I need you in everything, including this moment right now where I respond to you in just acknowledging that I need you in everything. And I pray that each and every one of us, just realizing that this side of heaven, we all fall short. I know I do. We all fall short. But God, but his grace, but his mercy, but his love, but his Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And I want to lead us through a prayer together as as his church, we are his church. <laughs> I want to lead us through a prayer together just to, to acknowledge that and to, to fall on him, to rely on him in prayer in this moment. <laughs> and so God, we, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge you as God, God Almighty, Lord God, King of kings, Lord of lords. You alone are holy. <laughs> we acknowledge that in this moment, Lord. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit present with us, <laughs> helping us in some ways we know, in some ways that we're not even aware. We thank you for that, Lord, and we acknowledge that. And Lord, we come to you. <laughs> we come to you with a fresh realization of, Lord, we are, we are so broken without you. We're so broken without you. that Even when we try and serve you sometimes, Lord, we go off and we do it thinking that we're, we're, we're serving you, we're doing it all in our own strength, and we forgot to invite you along to lead us, to guide us, to move through us, to strengthen us. So often we let the, the current of the world, the temptations of the world, the distractions of the world to steal us away from an awareness of you, an awareness of your words, an awareness of our life source here on earth. And Lord, we say we're sorry. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. <laughs> and Lord, we thank you for the cross. <laughs> oh, we thank you for <laughs> your forgiveness, Lord your faithfulness to forgive, to purify us. <laughs> oh, the wonder of the cross, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, as we fall fresh into your arms today, Lord, <laughs> Lord, we ask you to lead us, to help us, to guide us, to strengthen us when we're weak to remind us of your word, to remind us of your goodness, to remind us of your faithfulness. 
Lord, we thank you that you loved us first, Lord, and from that place, we love you, Lord. (laughs) We love you, Lord, and we worship you, Lord. We worship you, King Jesus. Jesus.